the more data you have, the scientists can utilize to study some of these outcome measures and things like that. Welcome to our podcast series, My Life as a Research Assistant. This series is brought to you by Kessler Foundation, where we are changing the lives of people with disabilities. I'm your host, editor, and producer, Joan Banks-Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation. Research assistants are on the front lines of our research studies, collecting data, conducting interviews, testing subjects, and are the face of Kessler Foundation to our research study participants. In 2020, Kessler Foundation was ranked among one of the best nonprofits to work for and best places to work in New Jersey. Throughout this series, we'll meet up with research assistants from our mobility, spinal cord injury, stroke, traumatic brain injury, and neuroscience and neuropsychology centers who have been with the foundation for over a year and some that are now senior research assistants, nurses, MD, MS candidates, postdocs, and those that have entered into many more professions. My life as a research assistant. This week, our guest is Silvio Labrador. Silvio began working at Kessler Foundation in August 2011. He started in our neuropsychology and neuroscience lab and then moved over to traumatic brain injury. Welcome, Silvio. It's great to have you here with us today. Thank you so much. If you could just give us a little glimpse of your day-to-day research that you do here, our listeners will have some idea of what is going on behind the scenes. My role here, you know, has changed, obviously, over the uh, the four and a half or so years that I've been with the foundation. Um, in early on in, in my career here, I was working primarily with um, doing interventions uh, for clinical trials, um, looking uh, at studies looking to improve memory and cognition. So basically, I would meet with subjects uh, once or twice a week. Uh, we would go through different uh, intervention or, or, or therapeutic rehabilitation protocols. These are all cognitive not physical, right? So things that would help them enhance memory or enhance processing speed. Um, I've also uh, administered many neuropsychological evaluations, um, probably over 100, um, and that's a full uh, a battery, a full gamut of tests that look at um, you know, uh, visual spatial skills, memory, all sorts of cognitive functioning. So uh, usually between, you know, three, four hour batteries of testing that, that are done, uh, oftentimes split up into multiple visits. Uh, so I've done plenty of that, worked with uh, lots of subjects in that capacity. More recently, uh, my focus has shifted more towards the uh, uh, Brain Injury Model Systems Project, which is a nationwide study uh, that the foundation is a part of. Uh, this particular study is a longitudinal study which tracks uh, individuals with brain injury from uh, their acute hospital stay, so from the uh, the ER uh, immediately after they've had their injury, all the way through to about 20 years post-injury. Uh, so we collect data from those patients uh, from the moment they enter the ER into 20 years out. So the, the, uh, the goal is to look at um, how we can improve outcomes for individuals with brain injury and also uh, what factors are sort of affecting uh, the long-term recovery of some of these patients. So uh, within that um, study, my role is primarily during the, uh, the primary phases, the acute and the rehabilitation phase, so what we call Form 1 or Year 1. Uh, so I'm primarily responsible for obtaining medical records uh, for these patients that have um, consented to participate with us. Um, I abstract data from those records. I look at their rehabilitation records. And, and I just basically put everything into like a nice, neat little package. And then we submit that to the National Data Center along with, um, you know, about, I believe, 10 or 
12 other sites nationwide. Um, and that goes into a national database. And then researchers, uh, you know, uh, psychologists, um, physicians, doctors, whomever, are able to utilize that database in order to conduct long-term studies on some of these outcomes in brain injury. Wow, sounds like you're uh, a busy guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, uh, it's a, a study that's constantly in motion. Um, you know, with some studies, you have a set number of participants where, you know, you have to recruit 60. And once you recruit 60 subjects and test 60 subjects, you're done. Uh, with the model systems, it, it, it uh, you know, it keeps going. It, it's continuous. There's never an end to it. Um, so long as participants keep coming in uh, to our uh, rehabilitation hospitals and things like that, um, and they're willing to participate, then we'll keep recruiting and, and we'll keep adding the data because the more data you have um you know the more the 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 scientists can utilize to uh you know to study some of these outcome measures and things like that now with collecting some of this data what type of traumatic brain injuries primarily do people have that's a good question you know um it's interesting i think it's a lot of it is seasonal believe it or not. And a lot of it really depends uh, year to year. So for example, um, you know, one of the, you know, one of the main things I do when I, when I start looking at this longitudinal data is what was the cause of injury, right? And if we've had a particularly bad winter, for example, you'll see a lot of falls, a lot of slip and falls outside, um, especially with some of the older elderly populations, which I think makes sense, right? Um, so, so you tend to see a lot of that. Um, certainly motor vehicle accidents are a huge cause. Um, you know, we have one particular hospital where we see a lot of um, violence, uh, maybe gunshot wounds, uh, traumatic events, blunt force traumas. But I would say mainly it would be fall. Um, and probably motor vehicle accidents uh, shortly, you know, uh, right behind that, definitely. Do you see any with certain types of sports, uh, skiing? I mean, obviously right now the big concern with the NFL and with high school and younger children are football injuries. Well, um, to be honest, not so much uh, because typically when you look at some of the um, – data that we've collected, uh, you see older uh, individuals who probably aren't practicing sports as much as, you know, the younger folks do. Now, I just was looking at a record actually about half an hour ago that I was starting to work on. Uh, A gentleman, he was 27 years old, and he was in a ATV, uh, you know, a a four-wheeler accident. So um, I guess that's technically considered a sport. It's also a motor vehicle. Um, You do see some ski accidents, definitely, but I would not consider it to be like a huge part of of, of the of the the sample, um, I would definitely consider maybe falls a, a little bit more. However, the National Data Center is attempting to investigate that further, where they've actually recently added uh, a, a concussion questionnaire uh, to the packet, and so patients are asked to um, respond to this questionnaire. And there's simple questions like, "Have you ever received a concussion um, playing any type of sports activities? What sports did you play growing up? How many years did you play those sports?" So I think they're starting to get at that a little bit, um, and. and we would have to probably start taking a look at that data and analyzing it to see what the trends are. Um, so it's not something that I've seen a lot of, but it's certainly something that we're now starting to try to dig deeper you know, into. If I were on the fence about becoming a research participant, what would you do or say to help ease that decision? Well, one of the things I would say is that um, I think the media, maybe Hollywood even a little bit, does a very poor job of 
sort of showcasing what research is. I think a lot of us, when we think of research, we think of like these very sterile rooms with, you know, uh, very cold individuals wearing sort of uh, white, you know, lab coats, walking around, uh, things that are very secretive. Um, I think a lot of people uh, uh, think there's an element of deception to it where what you're doing is not really what's being studied and they're trying to trick you. I think a lot of times we've seen that, you know, in movies and TV shows depicting, you know, mad scientists and and research projects and things of that nature. I think what people have to understand is research really isn't like that at all. I mean, even if you look at how our facility has been designed, because we've had renovations and we've, you know, redeveloped the facility, everything is geared towards warmth, towards comfort, towards a sense of inviting the the, the subjects in and making them feel comfortable. You know, you can have in, you could sit down, you could have a cup of coffee, you can relax, you could bring family members with you that have a nice waiting and lounge area that they can relax in. Um, everything is disclosed. Everything is uh, upfront. Everything is on paper. You're allowed to review the information, um, and and it's completely voluntary from start to finish. So even if you begin a project and for whatever reason you know you're not comfortable with it or you just don't have the time for it or it's not what you expected it to be, you can just cancel. You can drop out. There's no penalties. There's no repercussions. Nobody's going to come after you. Um, you're not going to get solicitations and phone calls. You know, it, it, it's very uh, a patient subject oriented. It's all about the patient. You know, the way we look at it is uh, the patients, the subjects, they're the ones coming in, dedicating their time, their energy, and their effort towards the cause. And so we have to be understanding of that and and really do our best to make them feel comfortable and secure and and just know that, you know, um, we're there for them, you know. And then the other thing I would say is that when you look at any type of medical practices, medical advances, especially in rehabilitation, and you say, oh, wow, you know, look at these new things that they're doing. uh, You know, last time I was at the doctor, they didn't have this. Well, what people have to realize a lot of times is that that stuff is all coming out of research, you know. The things that are in practice now within the clinical fields and the rehab fields, those are things that were research projects, you know, maybe five, six, ten years ago. And those outcomes, uh, you know, show that, you know, some of these things actually work and that they help improve uh, either functioning, cognitive or physical or what have you. And so everything we see today is pretty much born out of research that was done, you know, uh, years ago. So I would say to those individuals, not only is it something that might benefit you now, but you're really paying it forward for 5, 10, 15, maybe even 20 years into the future. You know, a lot of the research that's done now, especially in rehabilitation and clinical trials, is is used to show insurance companies that these things work. Because you know how insurance companies are. You know, they'll find any way to not pay for something, right? They'll tell you it doesn't work, and they'll pull out their own research uh, showing that something is not effective, and therefore they won't pay for it. Well, we can do research that shows, well, hey, wait a minute, this actually is effective. Mm-hmm. We have data that proves that this stuff works. And it's strong ammunition for a healthcare provider, a, a case manager, family member to take to the insurance company and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, I think this deserves some coverage you know, because it does work and, and, and it'll help our family, you know, our friend. And, and so, you know, there, there's that those three things, I'd say, you know, are huge factors as to why I think people should definitely consider doing research. Last question for you. In your dealings with different types of participants, is there a participant that stands out in your mind? Definitely. 
Um, you know, I've worked with over, you know, probably 150 different participants. Um, I had this one particular individual who, who just, just a great guy, fantastic guy. And, um, his injury was quite severe. Um, but you know, he, he just had the best attitude. He had a fantastic attitude. He always told jokes, um, and he would just rattle them off. He had a bank of maybe 15 to 20 jokes that he would just rattle off. And, and, you know, it's interesting to see how somebody who, you know, is dealing with their own issues, their own problems, how they can just sort of, you know, still live that normal life and still, you know, laugh and smile and, and engage with people. And, and, you know, it was funny because I started thinking to myself, uh, man, I, you know, I need, I need a joke or two, you know? So we had met multiple times, you know, he had participated in a few different studies with us. And, uh, I remember I went home and I researched online and I dug up, I think three or four jokes. So the next time he came in, I said, Hey, I have a couple for you. So I just started kind of throwing some quick, you know, one liners at him, you know, I think one of the ones I, I, I had remembered was, um, you know, uh, what did I say to him? I said, how do you, um, how do you throw a party uh, in space? He's like, well, how? I said, well, you plan it. And he laughed and laughed and laughed, and he thought it was hilarious. And uh, yeah, just just different things like that. And, and he, you know, he always invited me to his house. He said, "Oh, you know, come to my house. We're having a barbecue. Uh, we have a beach house." And I said, "Well, you know, I can't do that, you know." But uh, it, it just, you know, you become so friendly and, and so comfortable, and, and it's great. It really is. That's great. Well, just uh, want to thank you for all the research that you do and helping uh, to make people's lives better. Thank you so much. To learn more about career opportunities at Kessler Foundation, be sure and check out the program notes for links. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was recorded during the summer of 2016 and was edited and produced by Joan Banks-Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation.